Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today on the show we have Venetia Scott, the British fashion photographer and stylist. She started out her illustrious path at British Vogue under Grace Coddington, just as late 80s bodycon and glamazon supermodels were at their peak. Venetia was part of a London-based coterie of creatives who ushered in a new wave of British cool into fashion, as featured in magazines like The Face, ID and Arena. Her brand of styling, inflected with a dreamy, youthful nostalgia, caught the eye of Marc Jacobs, and in 2001 she became creative director responsible for the Marc by Marc Jacobs line. Over the past decade, she's focused on fashion photography, and she's also recently launched a book, which is why, back in September, she was at Five Carlos Place when she agreed to come and talk to me about her work, as well as some of the things that inspire her. Venetia Scott, hello, welcome to the podcast. Morning. Nice Morning, to be yeah. Here. Yeah, thanks. You're, thanks for coming to Five Carlos Place um, on this lovely September day. I think it's quite warm outside. It's really nice. It's beautiful. It's yeah. sunny. You have a, an exhibition of your photographs, which is shortly to go up. Yeah, Monday. Monday evening. How's it going? Um, I think we're nearly there. Everything's being framed. There's a book that's being. Um, published with it which is still being printed so everything's late but it's it'll be done by Monday and I should just say we are at Carlos place um, and so all the sounds of the road outside (laughs) of a Thursday morning are happening so I'm just gonna keep going I think Um, and the photographs from the book will be featured in the exhibition yes how many tell me a little bit about it they are all images which have been taken from photos that I've taken over the last sort of 12 years and I've zoomed in on all the faces. So sometimes it was a tiny face within the situation but they're all zoomed in close up to the same crop and all the eye level of the girls are the same and every girl um, you have eye contact with. And there are 30, I think there are 31 of them in the book, but I'm not sure how many will fit around the walls, but as many as we can get in. So that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, How do I hope t- so. I think so. I quite like the idea of just leaving everything behind. So when you do an editorially think about who the girl is and what she's wearing and what the location is and what she's doing and you know, all the the set and what objects you're going to bring into it or... And then it was about just stripping it back and being left just with the face, um, with all the narrative gone, um, and having that communication with someone and just a direct look and 
getting down to the essence of what the photograph would be about. Was that quite... Um, leaving the narrative behind for you, was that quite, is, is that quite nice? Because obviously you must have to think about narrative quite a lot. Yeah, it was very... It was sort of a relief because I can get obsessive about... Um, what would the carpet be and what colour, what shade of lilac? Is it lilac? But what is the tuft like? Is it matte? Is it shiny? And I can really get involved in things like that or what shoes and I can spend nights thinking about it. So to just get rid of all of that was was good, yeah. So the podcast, as you know, uh, has a format where the, the guest chooses five things that they would like to show that represent them in some way. And I was wondering what the first thing that you'd bought, that you wanted to talk about was? Um, I didn't bring Chris Christopherson with me, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But, um, he has been a sort of constant in my life since I was about 17. Um, so maybe if I had a song... But I have got two songs, For the Good Times and um, another one called Nobody Wins. Perhaps we could find a nice old vinyl copy to put in the cabinet upstairs or something like yeah, that to represent that him good. or a photograph because obviously he looks he looks good yeah he very looks very good, very good. Mm. has music always been an important part of your life um it has been i i'm not musical at all so i think that's probably why i like country and western because it's about stories um because if it, if it didn't have the lyrics, I wouldn't really pick up on one piece of music over another piece of music. Have you ever met Chris in I have, life? yeah. What's he I like? met him with Trish from um, ID. We went to see a concert at, in Poughkeepsie and um, she insisted, it was snowing, and she insisted on waiting at the stage door for him. We waited for about over an hour for him to come out and... Um, he did, and we got. I got a photograph of him. How amazing! Do you still have a copy of that photo? I do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll put that, that in. It. I would love yeah, to see I've that. Yeah, I got that. There you go. Now, I want to talk a bit about the the mood of your photographs, both the photographs that you style and photograph yourself, um, and the aesthetic, because it seems that you have, you have a very particular aesthetic. Well, maybe you could describe, first of all, the particular mood that you bring to your work. Because it's quite singular, would you say? Um, I think it's one of those things, you do it and then you don't really know what... Uh, how it's perceived by other people. I always think I'll do a shoot and then I'll sort of get some feedback. But weirdly, particularly if you're working freelance you're in your studio and you're quite insular which is one of the reasons that I thought I'd go back to Vogue because it can get very which is great you're very much in your own world so you worked at Vogue in the 80s yeah with Grace Coddington when she yeah. was there, there as heading up the fashion department and then you like, returned when Edward Enenfall became the editor as yeah. a few years ago fashion director yeah was it and now you're still there, but not as that particular role, but you're as a contributor. Yeah. Um, just explaining that for people who might not know. <laughs> um, but the influences on, in your work, I mean, 
I've read interviews with you where you've spoken about Larry Clark and, and Joseph Sabo. Um, were they very? Were, were they? Were you? Were you sort of aware of using those references initially, or was it something that you developed over time? Um, particularly, Larry Clark was a huge thing, an influence um, for me, and it's a funny thing to say teenage philosophers because it's full of um, drugs and guns which wasn't the bit that appealed but that idea of um, this sort of freedom and um, America and sunshine and uh, I don't know rivers and open spaces resonated with me is that very different and, and sort of being anti-fashion and when I looked at those books I think it was about the late 80s and I was at Vogue and I just left and it was a sort of reaction to the order that was there it was sort of just breaking down all the boundaries and status and um, hierarchy and money and consumerism and it was probably a reaction to that, but then that was quite a influence that came through in the nineties. Anyway, yeah, as a reaction to that, it was. You say? But on the other side of that, equally important for me would be Vogue in the eighties and the Helmut Newton um, and the discipline and the sexuality and the power that those women have. So. There is that long-haired girl with no makeup, but then there is also another woman who's using the clothes to express her sexuality or strength, or you know, role play. And it's almost the polar opposites of each other. Yes. And is it the idea of the contrast, or is it finding a point where those two meet, or are they completely separate? Uh, I think they're the same person. But they don't, they don't really overlap. Um, but it's not one woman or the other woman. They're the same person. It's just different aspects of them. And the women are young. It feels youthful. Um, they are young. I don't know. They don't have to be young. But they were young. They have been young. And they have quite often been or it sort of in the beginning they were quite often the opposite of me so they instead of having a little face with dark hair they were sort of round faced um, blondes because there was a just a feeling of openness to it and I felt that um, it was just the opposite sort of it was like felt liberating for me rather than being a bit of an awkward, dark-haired, small-faced person. <laughs> what else are we putting in the cabinet? Um, okay, so I've got... So I've got two books. So I've got the Helmut Newton book, um, particularly the series of pictures that he did of Ariel in Monte Carlo um, in 82. And then I've got... Um, Larry Clark's Teenage Lust, which was strangely in 83. 
hmm. which we've just talked about. And those two things represent both of the things that we've just talked about and would obviously look great in the cabinet. But then again, I would also like to say at this point that you, you, you were influenced by these two things, but you did, then you add your own layer to it and, bring, and create something that's completely different and new. Yeah. So what would you say? Because I feel is? a bit like that person that I've been describing and I, I like having these two very different parts of my life. I like being in Cornwall and I like um, wearing jeans and a parka and no makeup and being very scruffy. And then I do like, um, I like being in London and I like going to parties and playing that role as well. So I'm assuming from that that you live in Cornwall. You have a house there. And I have a house part, there, out, but out the time. I'm sort of, I'm not really there that much, but mm. even though when I'm not there, I feel like it's part of me and I feel like um, when things sort of go wrong it's a very nice place to go in my mind even if I'm not physically there and it makes me sort of like a safety thing that it doesn't really matter what happens because I can go back there nobody cares about anything there. It's really far away from London isn't it? Do you think it's the commute? It's like four, How do you manage? four hours drive if you're you drive lucky. it. You yeah. don't do the train. I like the driving. The drive. Really? Mm. So, what was your childhood like in a <laughs> nutshell? Um, it was um, it was spent at boarding school from the age of seven, and um, I'd sort of my parents moved about all the time. My dad was a military attaché, so. Um, there was a lot of travel, um, and then there was a lot of time in Salisbury, and then in a horrible town called Carn in Wiltshire. And it was, I don't know, it was damp and grey, and um, I sort of hated it. I hated the authority. And were you always aware that you hated it, or was it only once you got out? Were you, or were well, you I always... hated the prep school. I used to try and run away all the time. Um, the second school, yeah, I sort of didn't like it. I liked my friends and I liked the closeness that you had with the other kids because you sort of became a family together and I still have my two closest friends are from the age of 10. Um, so it was, yeah, it was very different and it was, you had to be in a group of four if you wanted to go for a walk and you had to book out for it and you had to, you couldn't really leave the grounds unless you booked out on a Saturday. You could go and have a packed lunch and go up onto the downs, but otherwise you didn't really leave the school gates because also we'd get beaten up if we went outside the school gates by the local girls because oh. we were the posh kids. <laughs> So, you know, it was very, very, um, and, you know, it was, it was just a different time. It was strict, and if you were caught talking after lights out, you were put in a, in the bathroom with the lights out, and you stood up, and if you sat down on the edge of the bath, you'd have to do another hour in there. So it was, it was extreme, actually. But what about, so what was the moment you did manage to break free then? Was it moving to London? 
Well, when I was 17, I met um, my first boyfriend came from Cornwall. And so I lived in London and I'd travel back at weekends and I'd see him and that opened up a whole new world to me. Um, just different people, different community, um, big open spaces. Yeah, and a sort of freedom, different, mm. different world. Um, did you fall straight into the fashion thing? Because from your childhood, I can't imagine how you would have gone into a I co did. career in fashion yeah, from I that. I wanted to do fashion from about the age of 13 or 14. I what was your idea of fashion, fashion at that age? Was there magazines? Well, we used or? to get over 21. Um, and I, yeah, it was sort of quite clearly just to go and work on a magazine. Mm. Um, I mean, I didn't really know about styling, but I, it wasn't far from what I ended up doing. Mm. How did you eventually get into it? Well, I went to Secretarial College. In London? Yeah, St James's. How's your typing? It was terrible, I was terrible. Are you I was good really lousy typing and shorthand, hopeless. But then I got a job working for um, the girls that sold the advertising at Vogue. And then I did that for a bit, typing. And then I went, and then I worked for Beatrix Miller and then I moved into the fashion room and I assisted Grace until she went to New York. Can you just tell me what it was like working with Beatrix Miller and Grace Collington? Um, what was it like? It was great. I mean, I just... Do you think... She, I like walking through the... I loved getting to... being in Hanover Square and going into Vogue House and... It was very... Sort of romance Stylised, you know. The, I loved the logo, I loved the writing paper, I loved the... Grace had the whole fashion room redone, so we had these glass tables with chrome legs and we had the leather chairs with the chrome. We were allowed three objects on our desk. I mean, everybody had, it was always white lilies from Pilbrook and Gould and everyone wore Azadina Lyre. And I loved the, yeah, it was... It was that sexy yeah, bodycon moment. Yes, and everyone had their heels on. Did you dress like that? Yes, I did. We all did. What was the changeover then from... Actually, we didn't all, because Lucinda was there and she had... No, we didn't all. Lucinda Chambers didn't of, do that. She didn't do that. Um, from a consumer, magazine consumer point of view, you know, you can see the moment when that changed from that Alaya bodycon glamazon moment into the 90s and grunge and so on. Um, you were played a part in it. Do you remember that happening? Were you aware of that change? Um, yes, I was very aware of that change because I'd already had the Vogue experience but at the weekends I'd go down to Cornwall so I already had that sort of duality of being one foot in it and one foot out um, and so when I left and I sort of left quite abruptly because Grace left and then the job wasn't there and I... I suppose, yeah, I just felt free. I reacted to being there. And I met 
Jürgen and it was sort of David Sims was around and Corin, Nigel, um, Corin Day, Martha Bon and Glenn and um, it felt very rebellious and it felt great and there was we went to Paris and there was Martin Margiela shows and you know there was no seating and everybody stood and was taken down to a metro station or we'd be in his studio and everyone would have to sit on the floor and I just loved that breakdown of having any whoever the editor was um, sat where they could find a place with their bags and it was sort of really really exciting to be part of that mm. and there was a fashion festival that, that was organised and we were all taken out to Budapest was the first one I think and then Monaco was another one and it was just great we couldn't sort of believe that we were you know and then magazines were asking us to start shooting for them and it was exciting mm. I really enjoyed that description I've never really heard about it from that Cornwall perspective before um, right what else is for the cabinet a cabinet um, okay so one of the things was the statues in um, Kensington Gardens, and it's two bears, two bronze bears hugging, um, and I walk past it nearly every morning when I'm here. It's actually not there because somebody tried to steal it the other day, and it's gone off to be repaired. Oh, they really? didn't get it, but they tried to get it. How big is it? Um, it's about what would that be? Two, two feet. Two high. foot. Yeah. Is it by a significant person or is it? Um, it was made in 1939. I'm not sure who made it. What is it about it that you like? I like the cuteness of it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel good. Can we take? Can we have a photo of that for the cabinet? Yeah. Think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I also, when I was in the park, I did quite want to put a heron in the cabinet because I always see them and I always think it's my dad there, sort of tall and leggy and I always think, oh hi Dad. Oh. <laughs> but that's an extra thing, he can't count as well. Extra. We could, we could uh, get a little heron statue or something in there, I'm sure. Um, and then just going back to um, that time and... and uh, what do you see though, when you see the pictures and you say, what do I see? And I, hmm. I don't really well, know what one sees. It suited me quite well because I think I was a teenager and suddenly I got this idea because it's interesting what you're saying about rebellion because I definitely felt that there was a re rebellion going on and it was something transgressive and mm. something that was fighting against the mainstream and if, even though maybe I didn't think of it in that way, I was definitely drawn to it and I straight away... I mean, it was picked up by the commercial brands pretty fast so it's, was, you know yeah. Kate, um, Calvin Klein and Mark Jacobs who I want to talk to you about and they started using that in their advertising pretty quickly so yeah, my did. walls were adorned with the Calvin Klein ads and and, and you know Corin Day's photographs and all of that stuff but I definitely wasn't aware of it from that insidery point of view that that you have mm. um but yeah, it was a nice thing that, that all the status things just went out, and they suddenly looked really uncool to have all the sort of consumerism. And we just we would go to Portobello, and we would 
buy things from Portobello um, and use them in photographs and then it was interesting because that then informed the designers and they very often you'd go and they'd have our photographs up as inspiration and so maybe you'd find a denim jacket that was embroidered and they would do a whole collection for based around that and it felt much more of an exchange that the stylists were also putting together looks in interesting ways and the designers could be inspired by that and now feels as if we go to the shows and then we come back and we react to what we've seen and then also there's this whole total look thing that comes into play where a designer says you have to feature the total look and so the stylist I think the role sort of um, less exciting than it was at that time because you can't really include vintage things either the vintage thing for a young person like myself was certainly very exciting um, and the thrift and charity shop shopping and markets because you know when you're when you're a student and you, you don't, I, mean, I didn't have any money so exactly you can afford it, was, it and that that democratic approach was was really appealing and that the knowledge that all these cool you know like Kate Moss was in Portobello and and, and you guys were all buying your stuff there and the fact that I could just go to Portobello and pick something up for a, cu- a few quid. Yeah. That was really exciting, yeah. I remember that. And also no one else had it. That was the big thing is you could buy someone and you didn't, you know, obviously you didn't want anyone else to have it and that seems to have flipped to maybe I'm talking five years ago when my kid was um, 16, 17 and at school and they all wanted to wear the same so they wouldn't wear something that no one else had yeah they would wear black leggings and a hoodie or like anti-fashion well i don't know if it was anti-fashion i think it was more conformity and wanting to fall in i don't even think it was anti anything it's just um yeah and really not expressing themselves and not wanting to be unusual or to stick out i think we did want to Going back to the cabinet. Yes. Um, okay, so... How many have we got? Is that four? Three or four? I don't know. You just keep... You just I think it might be three, because some of them have got stuck together. Yeah. Um, I will put in... Um, I've taken photos over the years in Cornwall since Lola, my daughter, was... Well, since she was born... And so now I have about eight photo albums, um, all black and white pictures. And they're pictures of the kids that have come over the years. So it's quite interesting because they're from sort of when they were tiny to um, probably when they didn't want to come down anymore, which was 15 and they wanted to stay in London. But so there's a very good record of being with the same families over the years and revisiting the same places and the woods and the rivers and the moors. Um, so I'd put those in there. Mm. That would be difficult. But <laughs> um, and then my last thing was Gina Rowland's John Cassavetes film, um, A Woman Under the Influence. 
which was made in 1974. Why would you put that film in? Because I think she she was was she influential. She had a big sort of made a big impression on me when I was probably like mid twenties. Because of her, no, no, she's brave yeah. and not vain, bold and sexy and vulnerable. What's and her What's her wardrobe like in that film? I don't even know. I haven't seen it sort of since. So that it's not time. even about the clothes. It was more the no. a, the attitude. Yeah, it's her attitude in it. Who are your favourite models at the moment? Let's talk about that before we finish. Because I do want, did want to ask you about the girls because I've always. One thing, whenever I look at your photographs, I always love the girl in it, whether it's Angela Linville or Anna Evers. Um, even, you know, I think the invitation for the opening event of your exhibition here is a photo a headshot of Hilary Roda. Yeah. And someone sent it to me who'd been sent the invitation and said that this is such a wicked photo. Right. Um, and it is about the girl. It's not... Even it's though... all about the girl, yeah. The first thing is the girl and the, then the fashion and the clothes follows... Um, a characterization so the girl is all important and I will wait for the girl to be available because I couldn't have I think one of the things about the exhibition is there isn't another girl for the story it has to be that girl and so there's an importance on the models and I think that you remember the model probably more than the fashion mm -hmm. in the end in my pictures yeah well, that's the, that's the, they, they stand the test of time. Yeah, because they're playing the part and then the other, everything else follows. They must, models must love being asked to be featured in your photographs for that reason. Because I often heard models say how they, they, they were so, they're photographed so often, but so rarely they have their, their, well, they hardly, their. yeah, I've looked at models' books and they don't, they, I'll say that's a great picture who took that and they say oh I'm really bad with names I can't remember and then they go well, well when when was when was it taken and probably a month ago and so that lack of um I don't know just time and communication I think is a bit sad for me if I can one of the reasons that I go on trips is that I can take them away with me and Nobody can say it has to be done in a day because we've even the travelling there, you know, becomes part of it. And then staying overnight and waking up and having that and get going around in the location van and listening to music and that, the whole sort of experience of being on the shoot is um, is important. It sort of bring makes it like a community when you're away, especially if you can drag it out for a few days. And just slow it down and um, try and get them off their mobile phones and sort of just be present for a while. That's great. Thanks so much, Vinisha, for coming on the show. Thank it was you great. Very, Thank very, you very much. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.